through business excellence, we can start to transform these communities that have had, you know, historical high rates of poverty into predictable wealth. And how do we do that? By educating, empowering, and giving the right kind of tools, systems, processes to business owners to run these businesses. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined again by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore here with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and today we're going to be joined by Luis Garcia, CEO of Media Garcia, a growth agency that helps small business owners generate leads and acquire customers by optimizing and automating processes so that business can grow better with less effort. Welcome to the show, Lewis. So glad to have you on today. Hello. Thanks for having me here. Uh, pleasure to be here today. Yes. Yes. We are super excited to have you here today. So first, I'd like to for you just to tell us a little bit about you yeah. and why you started your own business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my business journey was inspired by the matriarchs in my family and, and, and the, the patriarchs too, for that matter. You know, they really instilled in me a desire for self-determination and an entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. and just you know seeing their example and what they were up to and the commitment that they had the passion they brought to wanting to, to build and create something and to see it flourish and um, mm. really just this made me excited and, and i can actually see it now with my own daughter which is really amazing she was texting me oh. the other day she goes dad and she's nine years old so to give some context to that she's like okay. i want to start a business <laughs> <laughs> she goes, will, will you help me? So I'm like, all right, I am definitely getting it done because if, if I'm at least leaving it and passing this gift on to that next generation, right? That just, that tickled me. So we're looking at bracelets, <laughs> we're bracelet awesome. making business right now with that. So it is about family. It's about building wealth, generational wealth, and particularly also seeing their struggles. You know, it, you know, I was curious about why they were working so much and not taking vacations. And on one hand, you know, you see, the benefits and the and the the rewards and the returns that can come from working a lot in, in your business, but then um, that can also be a, a really lonely and difficult place to be, you know, and, and a, where a lot of business owners kind of find themselves these days. So I wanted to try to figure out how to how to solve that, right? And and because I've I've also lived that too, and and so, you know I get the, the pleasure of each day now, kind of you know working on that kind of complex problem. That is just awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And I love it. I love that 
it's not only about, you know, helping the small businesses and what you do, but mm -hmm. then creating this legacy that seems like it's been generational. So started with your family and now being passed on. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And and the one thing that I want to really see shift is like the scale of which it's happening, right? And and to be able to go from um you know, what we maybe mostly are familiar with like mom and pop or like, right. you know, right. you know my dad was entrepreneurial, but like, what about he created an empire, you know, like that's the, that's the piece where I'm like, how do you get to the dynasty moment? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, right. Right. So when we talk about just creating, you know, obviously generational wealth, you, the flip side of that is making sure that this generational wealth is also inclusive from an economic standpoint. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts around that? How, how do you see these environments really benefiting? You know, if, if, if some of our companies and some of our listeners are thinking about, you know, what is the, the advantages of, of really mm -hmm. supporting economic environments and, and the benefit to small business owners. One example or a few examples where I've seen this at play today, you know, when we look at the systemic challenges that there have been for minorities to own homes yeah. or mm -hmm. to start businesses, continue their businesses, you know, there isn't a lot of, you know, it's difficult to run and start a business when you maybe don't have the role models in your communities or the people mm -hmm. who have already done it before you or the family to pass on the business to you or to impart, you know, knowledge about running yeah. the business. Uh, you know, when those things aren't present, you know, there, there's just a gap that, mm -hmm. that, uh, it, that exists. And, and the longer that, that, it, that gap is there, it just exponentially, exponentially grows over time. That happened in the Rondo neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, where there is a thriving African-American community in a neighborhood of St. Paul. And when they developed Interstate 94, they went directly in the middle of the community and basically split the Rondo community into uh, by a massive interstate that disconnected mm. families. It took away businesses. Mm. It reclaimed people's homes. So, you know, just by oh. that, that's a clear example of like, you know, how those things put people behind and make mm. it more difficult for them to develop and create that generational wealth. How I see where we can and where Media Garcia and, and where I put my passions and efforts into is, is creating that generational wealth through business excellence. So looking at, well, how can we use the tools that are available that we have today? Businesses being one of those growth engines and, and tools that we can use. Uh, and you know, I see that through business excellence, we can start to transform these communities that have had, you know, historical high rates of poverty into predictable wealth. And how do we do that? By educating, empowering, and giving the right kind of tools, systems, processes to business owners to run these businesses. Because all these things have been figured out already. You know, we're like, yeah. everyone's kind of recreating the wheel when it comes to the business world, you know, yeah. sadly. And yeah. I think there's a lot of things that we can um, start to standardize and improve upon and share. I mean, can you go a little deeper around, you know, how does Media Garcia really play a role in business growth and just kind of overall developing some of your clients? You know, one thing that we look at in, in terms of business growth is first really getting clear what the, the business is offering, you know, and, and their product or service and what makes them unique, how do they fit in the marketplace and understanding you know, their overall market strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, we would look at what types of metrics and measures are, are important for them to uh, monitor so that they know mm -hmm. that they are, are actually growing or not. And so we mm -hmm. look at in dashboard development, metric development, particularly for key metrics and KPIs like revenue and profit. Uh, but there might be some other marketing metrics that you want to look at and not just financial ones like your website sessions or uh, yeah. cost um, Right. Uh, for acquisition. And, and so we look at how, you know, developing a real-time dashboard for leaders so they can see in real time, you know, are they 
growing or not. Mm. And, and from there, then we can start to look at, okay, well, what system or platform, the technology do you need to uh, create a, your, your growth engine or, you know, not only for growing and scaling, but to make your day-to-day life easier, you know, so that when you are getting those prospects, they're easy to follow up with when you get those customers they are easy to serve because you've already collected all the key information, et cetera, about them through technology and automation. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's kind of looking at the whole, you know, what's your online presence and how do you attract people and engage with them, nurture them, uh, convert them into customers and delight them through the customer process. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of different kind of tactics that we do, yeah. you know, with that, um, yeah. frankly, but at the most of the time, we're going to spend our, our time and our efforts in the world of working on someone's CRM, their website mm-hmm. and, and various marketing campaigns. So I, I know you started your business as kind of a quote unquote side hustle, right? So talk us a little bit through the, what were you doing beforehand? Why did you even start the side hustle? And at what point did you look at your own organization and go, you know what? I can actually launch this as a full-time gig and kind of step out and go out on my own. So I start, you're right, um, Adam, I, I did start this 12 years ago as my, my side hustle when I was working okay. in corporate IT full-time. So I was, okay. my background is in corporate IT and business intelligence. And I spent uh, 11 years in that career. And about ha- and I started it half, I started my side business halfway through that career. So okay. about six years ago now um, that I've been now full-time in this business. What had happened is I learned how to code and mm-hmm. uh, websites particularly. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start doing WordPress websites, you know, and, and target local businesses and make a little extra okay. cash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was my, yeah. it was right. my nights and weekend kind of a, a thing. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And what had happened is that I actually had uh, received a call from Bennett from HubSpot and their CRM and marketing software company. And, yep. and um, you know, and he was prospecting me, frankly, and he, he knew I had a web company and he asked me, you know, would you like to go from project-based revenue to recurring revenue? And I was like, that sounds nice. Yeah. And not only that, but then he introduced me to the tool, particularly the CRM. And I was like, I really like what the CRM is. And I really saw how big of a difference that could make for small businesses. You know, I was in the corporate environment. I was really mm-hmm. familiar with data collection and process improvement and agile and all this stuff and all these kind of corporate things. But when I saw the CRM, I, I, I was like kind of sent back to relating all my family and just the, the kind of the, the flight of business owners and thinking, boy, like I, I know a lot of small businesses aren't quite using tools like this. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. these things. And that, yeah, this is like an incredibly valuable tool. They're not, they're generally not using them or they're just underutilizing them. You know, it's yeah. Yeah. generally one of those. Um, you know, I, I don't usually hear people be like super thrilled <laughs> about their, you know, their CRM, but you know, that, that's why we're here, right? Because we want to, yeah. you know, set those things up for people right. and make it work for them so that they are thrilled about it. Because um, generally when they DIY, which most people kind of do up front, you know, they, they don't get, they, they don't know the full, they don't know what they don't know about it, frankly. Mm-hmm. So they don't know how to necessarily set it up and, and make it work to give them the most value that they deserve. Yeah. And I think one of the things I see often with small business owners and CRMs is they buy too much CRM, yeah. right? You can't go that way too, because everybody's like, oh, workday. And they just go get a workday license right at the minimum number of seats. And it's like, that's way too much tool. That's way too yeah. much tool. Um, so right. I think you go the opposite way sometimes on CRMs, right? You buy too much of it. Or like you said, yeah. you try to DIY it and you may not have gotten it all hooked up correctly, right? And and I can't tell you how many business owners I talk to are just frustrated. They're like, nothing works, nothing automates, nothing, you know, nothing goes out. I'm having to constantly go into it. They're like, it was no better than Excel and Outlook, <laughs> 
you know, they get upset, frankly, you know, about um, having done that and then they wish they would have scaled into it. And, and in some mm-hmm. cases, I can I definitely see the reasoning behind it. In other cases, you know, an investment's commitment, you know, it's a sign of commitment to to growth, you know, particularly around these tools, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've seen people inv- also invest too little. And then I feel like they didn't actually get to see the whole picture and they like mm-hmm. quit yeah. because it wasn't enough for them either. So it's like right. such a delicate. It is a balancing act. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. 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 So when you think about just like overall goals tracking, like talk to us a, a little bit about the difference you've seen. So when a customer or like at this point, they're probably a prospect coming to you and just says, you know, I want to get a little bit more data, you know, around our processes and just kind of understand if we're hitting our goals, then, you know, afterwards when they've got this dashboard, you know, do you, I mean, obviously we would assume that there's a dramatic difference in them being able to make decisions, but can you talk to us a little bit about maybe share a case study or just the improvement that it's 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 made to some of those small businesses, um, just overall, just success. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the case study that we had recently with EAG Advertising and Marketing, and they're located in Kansas City, Missouri. And I had met Michelle, who's the CEO, uh, through the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program that we both were a part of in the last three months and had uh, recently graduated from. And she had engaged our services because once she heard we were a HubSpot expert, and they uh, had uh, they were working with a client who was on the HubSpot platform and had been for, for quite some time. And their sales team were doing a lot of activities out of it. And then EAG was doing marketing activities out of it. Now, EAG didn't have an internal HubSpot expert. You know, they're, they're a fabulous team of marketers and advertisers. Uh, however, there, there wasn't anyone who was like natively you know, six years of experience, you know, plus, you know, with, with HubSpot expertise to dig into the reporting and the data capabilities um, to start to answer some questions and test some hypothesis that the client had started to make. Uh, the clients felt like their sales, and they, they saw that their sales started to be stagnant. They were trying different things, different sales campaigns, and then the marketing team was doing some things. They were having a hard time attributing, you know, where these new deals were coming from and whether these marketing and sales efforts are making a difference. They also had started to make some assumptions around how long their usual sales cycle ought to be and around how many interactions they think it takes to close a deal. And so the context of our, uh, you know, agreement and how we wanted, to, how we were to work together is that, you know, they provided access um, to our team to, to go into, you know, their data and start to build out these reports and dashboards and ultimately answer these, these assumptions that they had made. What we noticed is that on one hand, that it took, um, you know, for the deals that they were winning, it took 40 interactions versus 20 interactions for the deals that they're losing. You know, so we started to get a sense of how many marketing and sales interactions they needed. And we also saw their sales cycle was uh, usually around 90 days. Now we also saw that their average close date kept increasing. So they've they kept hanging on to deals longer and longer, kind of like in hopes of you know maybe closing them and yeah, and then not moving on, right? And kind of cleaning it out. So we we highlighted that as an opportunity that there's you know probably an uh, opportunity to close these deals and just move on, keep keep the pipeline cleaner and lean. Um, and then the last thing um, that we validated was we, we created a report that showed you know all the deals that were in their pipeline and, and the, all the subsequent marketing activities and selling activities that were a part of that, if any. So that way they could really see clearly like, okay, this deal is worth this much. And I can see, yeah, there's there's been 20 marketing emails sent and two of them were clicked and 
you know, and, and then they can, their leadership is able to quickly associate that to EAG, EAG's activities. And they, and then they're able to see the ROI, you know, through their relationship and, uh, and also identify where these deals didn't come from marketing and then determine, well, how did those happen? So, you know, and getting more clear on, on um, where they should put their investments. Yeah. Yeah. Moving Mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. Do you always see that these um, small business owners that you work with then act on the recommendations? You know, I mean, do you always see that they're like, yes, um, this is 100% accurate and we're going to implement this right away? Not necessarily. You know, I think uh, knowing and, and uh, right, having that sh- cult- the shift, I think, are, are t- two, two totally, totally different, different things. things. <laughs> they're, they're so different. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Management. That, I was just about we start to, to get into that. the whole change yeah. management, piece, yeah. right? I mean, that's a huge thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one thing to present it with data, but I think, you know, honestly, Lewis, you're, you're confirming or maybe validating what so Chloe and I have been saying on this show for a while now, and that is you've got to have the numbers behind it, right? I mean, it's one thing, it's not enough to go in and talk to prospective investors or your bank or your board and go, I think, right. I feel, I have an idea, right? I mean, you have to have the, this data behind it Right. And you have to have folks like yourselves help you kind of manage and maximize the potential of your your CRMs and your various uh, monitoring tools uh, to 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 show the numbers behind the assumptions or the yep. thoughts or the plans. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm loving definitely. hearing and, that. And the CRM is like the at least one of those places that that creates all those breadcrumbs <laughs> to be able to come up with these numbers. Right. And and frankly, there's lots of right. other software, too. But. Yeah, totally aligned with you there. Yeah. Well, if there's any advice that you would give to the small business community, um, just from your experience, what mm-hmm. would you say to them in terms of you know what they should be looking at and areas of growth and how to properly use the data that they have access to? You know, I, I, I guess one thing that's comforting to know, and I think is oftentimes a bit scary, you know, for business owners initially, right, is the is a, is um, the fear of failure. You know, and, and I, and I know that's a huge thing that I've dealt with, you know, is, and, and how that shows up for me particularly is like, you know, like I, I knew I sat on the idea of, oh, should I go full-time? Like I sat on that idea for full-time into my business rather is clear. I, you know, kind of sat on doing that for maybe a year or two, yeah. you know, right. and during that time, I'm like complaining to people about my job, <laughs> you know, I'm being like, I should just really go do this or, but also kind of not having that, that confidence and that worry. But I think it really ended up being rooted in, in a fear of failure, you know, and what it would look like if like my business failed and like the disappointments and then like, what's going to happen to me, <laughs> you know, I'm like, um, and you know, it, but, but failure is such right. a natural part of life and something that we need to be comfortable with, frankly, and it, particularly as business owners mm-hmm. and we, we can't avoid failure uh, at all. And, um, I think getting comfortable with the failures, uh, being willing to look at them as opportunities to, for like what I needed to learn from this and, and take away Mm -hmm. and apply. Um, I think if people are become skilled in that, um, then, then nothing can stop you. Just let it go. You're so right. You're so right. That is awesome. I think cause in every you know, failure, quote unquote, there's a lesson that's learned in that. So yeah, 
it's it's the scrum it's the scrum master mentality right yes. fail fast fail often absolutely yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah well thank you so much for coming on the show oh, lewis i appreciate it so much yeah, yes yes no this is great thank you for giving us some of your time today i mean uh, those in podcast land, like we said, you can't see this, but Lewis is in the middle of moving. So we are so appreciative of you giving us some of your time today. This has been great. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed and Adam Moore and Lewis Garcia. Yes. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple podcast and check out our previous shows. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.